chapter 3. We'll continue in our studies through this uh, book in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And uh, you know, it's amazing how timing-wise, how I don't believe that there are accidents in the Christian life. We believe that God's sovereign and how God can take certain times in your life and he can line it up to uh, scriptures when you're going through certain situations that God always gives you what you need. And the fact is, is that there, because there are no accidents, we know that God leads us to certain passages for times when it's very necessary for our Christian life. Do you believe that? And uh, we're going to be looking here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And um, I've entitled this being a student of your trials. I heard a story about two boys. They were going to a dentist. One was a bigger boy. The other one was smaller. And when they went into the dentist office, the bigger one said to the dentist, he said, sir, we're in a hurry and we've, we've got to get in and out of here. So today, as we're, you know, you're working on my teeth, I don't want to get anything to deaden the pain. I don't want a shot of Novocaine. I don't want any gas because it'll slow us down. And so they said, we're in a hurry. Well, the dentist replied, well, man, that's, that's, really, that's really brave of you. Uh, let me see your tooth. And so the bigger boy turned to the smaller boy. He said, he told him, he said, uh, he said Tommy, show him your tooth. And you know, when he says that to him, it's really easy when it's not you, right? It's really easy to be brave for somebody else. And you know, as I was thinking about that, it's really easy for us to be brave in our Christian faith when it's not us. Um, What do you do when your life is caving in? What do you do when the world around you is falling down? And how does a Christian respond when hard times come? What is it that can keep our faith strong? It's easy to be brave when it's not you, right? And so what we're going to be looking at is that all of us face questions about our trials. We ask questions, you know, whether it be, God, why is it that you would allow this to happen? Or why is it that I'm facing these circumstances? All of us face those, and we're going to face trials eventually. And when, when that happens and everything you believe is put on the firing line, how will you choose to respond to the trials of your life? And, you know, I heard a very wise pastor once say this. He was talking about trials, and one of the things that he learned was this. It was a saying. He said, when hard times come, be a student, don't be a victim. How different those two different mindsets are. It's easy to be a victim, isn't it? Um, In our day and age, it seems like a lot of people become professional victims, (laughs) don't they? Uh, it, it's this attitude that they've somehow been mistreated and, and uh, a, they become a perpetual victim. It dooms them to a life of just self-centeredness and misery because they don't ever learn anything from their trials as a result of being a victim. I read an article and, you know, it was kind of, if I share with you a little bit personally, you know, over the past couple of weeks, it's been a kind of a, a difficult time. Uh, there's been some things that we've been dealing with here. And um, it's easy to start pitying yourself. You ever find yourself being a victim? You, you start thinking, you know, why is it I, why me? Why do I have to be going through this? And you, you start asking yourself questions. And then I, I have a friend that we went to college with. I found out that his wife, she said she, she has cancer. And I'm sitting there thinking, how in the world could I ever be upset about my situation? Why couldn't I choose to be more of a learner be more of a student as opposed to being a victim. I read an article recently that kind of portrayed the difference between a person that's a victim and a person uh, 
that is a learner or a student. And this is what it said. A victim says, why did this happen to me? But a student says, what can I learn from it? A victim blames other people, but a student asks, well, what can I learn? A victim looks at everyone else and cries out, life isn't fair. But a student says, what happened to me could happen to anybody. A victim believes that hard times come because God's punishing them. A student chooses to believe that and understands that God allows hard times to help them to grow. A victim would rather complain, but a student doesn't have time to complain because they want to make the best of their situation. A victim feels sorry for themselves and doesn't have time for others, but a student focuses on helping others that have been through similar situations. A victim feels sorry for themselves and begs God to remove the problem so that they can have happiness. But a student says that, uh, learns that through the problems of life, God's the only one that can bring happiness to their life despite the circumstances. And folks, one of the, the great lessons that this article taught was this. Choose to be a student, don't be a victim. Because in every child, there's something that we can learn, can't we? That God is molding us, and we believe that God's sovereign. He's working in our situations for our good. There's things that we have to learn that's for our benefit. And because we believe that God's sovereign, there's something that we can learn in each situation. Amen? Amen. Now, as we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we find that this church at the city of Thessalonica is struggling. Paul had planted this church in a matter of weeks, and what he had found out was that this church was going through a severe time of persecution. And because they were a young church, this church was no more than probably a year old. They were young in the faith. They didn't have uh, mature leadership in the church yet. And as a result of that, you can imagine how Paul was concerned for their faith that in the middle of such trials and hardship, that it could cause them to question what God was doing in their life. And so Paul, as a spiritual father looking out for his spiritual children, is writing to encourage them that God isn't uh, punishing you, that God has plans for your life. There's things you can learn in difficult times. That's what Paul wants to get across to them. And because Paul had been forced to leave this church after establishing it over a matter of a couple weeks, he's concerned for their faith, wouldn't you be? When young believers go through trying and difficult circumstances, there's reason to have concern, isn't there? You feel like, are they established enough in their faith and what they believe? Can they make it through the trying times? And so Paul if we kind of give you a little bit of background, what he's already covered, in chapter one, Paul begins to express his thankfulness for them and the fact of what God had done in their life. He begins to, in chapter two, he recalls how he started that ministry with them and how he wished that he could be with them. As we come into chapter three, Paul is going to begin to explain to them the reasons and what God is doing in their situation when times are tough. I don't know about you guys, do you ever struggle with what God's doing when things are tough? You ever feel like at times that you don't really understand how he's moving, how he's choosing to take the pieces of your life and bring it together? Have you ever struggled with that? What Paul is going to do is he's going to lay out some principles that are very valuable for all of us. And the reason why it's valuable is that no matter who you are in this room, eventually you'll have trials. 
And what really matters is the perspective that you'll choose to take when they come into your life. How is it that you'll choose to respond to that? That's what matters, doesn't it? Because you can have two people going through the same set of circumstances, two of them choose to respond to it in two different ways and end up at two different places. Would you guys agree with that? Many of you are far more experienced than me and you recognize that that's the truth. So let's look at these principles that Paul's laying out for us that'll benefit us. The first thing is this, trials are unsettling. There's no way around it. When you go through difficulty, it, it shakes you. It's, it is a very difficult experience. Let's look at what Paul writes in verses one through three. He says this, wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. And so I sent Timothy, our brother and our minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. He says that no man should be moved by these afflictions. Now notice the very first word in verse one is what? What do you see? Wherefore, whenever you see that word, what should you do? You ask why it's there. You begin to look back in the previous verses. He's connecting two thoughts. In chapter two, if you look down at verse 20, he says this, for you are our glory and joy. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that when he reflected on these believers at Thessalonica, how did he feel about them? They brought joy to his heart. You, you read a little bit further, you see down in, uh, if you look back in verse 18, Paul said he would have come to visit them, but what happened? Satan hindered him. He wanted to know how these believers were making it in their severe time of testing. Paul as their spiritual father, wanted to know how his spiritual children were doing. He had the concern for them, like any father would have for his children when they're going through difficulty, right? How, how are my kids doing? Are they okay? That's what Paul wanted to know. And that day, there was no quick response. You, you, there, it's not like you could pick up a phone and call anybody. I'm sure you guys are aware of that. And so, but the deal is, is that he wanted to know how his children were doing. But look at what he says in verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. What Paul is saying is that they made a decision as a group. In Paul's group, you had Paul, Timothy, and Silas. And they made a decision that it would be better that Paul would be left in Athens so that these other guys could go check on other works that were going on. So this is what they did. They made the plan that they would send Timothy to Thessalonica to check on him. If you read in context in Acts chapter 18, you find that Silas was sent to the city of Philippi in Macedonia to check on the church at Philippi. So what happens is, is that Paul was left alone in a very tough city of Athens because why? He thought it would be better for him to be alone by himself in a pagan city that was difficult to be in it was better for him to be alone than his spiritual children to be persecuted and going through difficulty by themselves. How loving is that of Paul? He said, I would rather suffer the hardship than you to go through it by yourself. That's an incredible thought. You see, the reason why Paul is sharing that with us is this. Paul had been accused in the early church. After he had established the church, there were some Jewish people that came into the city and said to him, they, they accused him, made false accusations about it, that he was in it for himself. 
They said, Paul, he doesn't care about you guys. He's only concerned with himself. So when Paul made a move that was unselfish, what was it proving? Paul loved this church. This word alone, you might circle it, it means to be abandoned or forsaken. Funny story, you know, whenever I think of this word, sorry, Pastor, I'm going to throw you under the bus a little bit. But uh, there was a time where we were in China, and, and he's going to know instantly what I'm talking about. I bet he's never told you guys this. So we were coming back from China, and he had bought all this stuff in China, and he said, Ryan, I want you to carry a bag for me. Now, you guys know when you fly on the airlines, what do they tell you not to do? Don't carry anybody else's bags. You need to look inside, know what they're doing. So we come back into the States, and you know what happens? I'm doing good. I'm coming through immigration. No problem. Pick up the bags. Customs, all of a sudden, of, of all people, they had to call me, right? And so what happens is, is I'm going through customs. They open up the bag. You know whose bag they open? Not my bag. They open up his bag. And so we're looking there, and this guy's going through it. It's got all of this knockoff stuff from China. And they are giving me up one side, down the other. And you know what I felt like? Abandoned on an island. And you know what's worse? He's on the other side of the, of, of, of a, of the plexiglass waving at me. That's even worse. And you know what? This word, Paul, when he uses this word alone, he means desert. Paul chose it. I didn't. <laughs> Here's the thing, guys, is, is that Paul was showing his love for this church that was going through a difficult time. And folks, that is such a portrait and a picture of the love that Christ has for us that he was willing to suffer in order that you and I wouldn't. And Paul is pouring out his heart, his love for this church and the fact of the matter is, is that Paul couldn't go to them because he had basically been banned the first time he was there. If he came back, it would cause more problems. That's what I think he meant when he said, Satan hindered me. Now, as he goes on, this was his spiritual children. And look at what he says in verse 1. He says, I could no longer forbear it. it it's the idea he couldn't take it any longer. He could hardly stand to wait for the news that would come back about these believers. Paul had the desire to do what? He wanted to nurture them. He wanted to protect them. He wanted to, their, their faith to be built up, not to be torn down. Now look at what he does. Paul shows that what he's gonna do. Look at verse two. So to show his love to protect and to nurture them, he says this, and Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel, what did he do? He sent Timothy on behalf of him. Now you're sitting there thinking, now what's the big deal? Who was Timothy to Paul? It was his son in the faith. It was his right-hand man. He didn't send him his second best, his third best. He sent him the very best person that could represent who Paul was. Now, what's great about this is that they're going through what? Difficulty. And notice who he's sending to him. Look at what it says. He says, so I send Timothy our, what? Our brother. He's a fellow believer just like you. You know, when you're going through difficulty, it's nice to have other believers gather around you, isn't it? He said, so I'm sending you your brother in the faith, Timothy. Notice what else he says. A minister of God. This idea of minister is the idea of God's servant. You see, I'm sending somebody to you that will be able to put your needs before his own. 
Timothy, when he comes and shows up in the city of Thessalonica, he's going to come and he's going to serve you and he's just going to pour his life into you. And notice what else he says. Our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, this is my protege, my right-hand man. And see, when people are unsettled in their faith and they're going through trials, they need believers that will rally to them. And that's exactly what Paul did. He sent his co-laborer, an able minister in the faith. Paul knew that their persecution and trials would intensify. Now, focus with me. I want to make sure that you get this because this is an important part of what Paul's doing. I want you to see why was it that Paul was sending Timothy? What reason? Have you ever been through a trial and somebody said something really stupid to you before? Come on, you can be honest, we're in church, all right? Now, people say stupid stuff sometimes, don't they? And I'm convinced sometimes people mean well but they just don't know what to say. Now, I want you to look on, on, in God's word what it says that Timothy was coming to do. When people are going through trials and difficulty, there's certain things that people need. Paul tells Timothy to do two things specifically. Look at him. The first thing is this. He says in verse two, I'm sending him to do what? To establish you and to comfort you concerning what? I'm going to say it again. I want your help. We need this to be unanimous, all right? I am sending him to strengthen, to establish you, and I'm sending him to comfort you concerning what? Your faith. faith. That's incredible word. This was a church that Paul had commended because they had tried to be like Paul. They tried to uh, be imitators of him, but this was a church that still needed to grow. Paul's prayer for this group, this church, was even though they were going through suffering and difficulty, that they would still mature. Look at, look at what it says in uh, chapter 3, verse 13. He says, he prays that God would establish their hearts. If you look at chapter 4, verse 1, he said he prayed that they would be pleasing to God. Paul's concern for the, was that in their hardship that it wouldn't stunt their growth. In every situation that you face in life, you can either make a choice that you will allow it to grow the the roots of your faith deeper, or you can choose to allow it to stunt your growth spiritually. You can either allow it to turn you away from God or allow it to turn you to God. And so what he does is this word, I, I, I hope that you'll just circle it, this word establish, this is what it means. It means to strengthen. It means, it's the idea of buttressing something. I know we don't use that word very often, but to buttress something is something that's starting to have a a crack formed in it, and it has to be strengthened or reinforced. And literally what Paul, when he uses this word to strengthen them or establish them, he's saying these people, because of their hardship, there was a crack forming in their faith. And what he wanted Timothy to do was to do what? Reinforce it. Pretty good thought. To support him so that they wouldn't buckle underneath the weight of their persecution. Hey, folks, when you're going through difficulty, it's great to have people around you that'll do what? Strengthen your faith. Reinforce it. Build it back up. Because times are tough. And there's times where you need people to be able to build that faith back up, to reinforce it. 
And what he does, Timothy, he's gonna help build them up so that their faith was strong, so that their faith wouldn't waver, to reinforce it so they wouldn't fail under the pressure. But there's also the second word, comfort. This word comfort means to give confidence or hope to. When you're going through difficulty, not only do you need to have your faith reinforced, you need people that will inspire confidence in you and who God is and what he can do. You need hope that things will get better. So what happens is, is that Timothy's gonna come and establish them and comfort them, specifically in what, though? We're gonna just hammer down on this a little bit. He's gonna strengthen them, and he's gonna comfort them concerning what? Faith. Why is it that Timothy was gonna come to this church and focus on their faith? Why faith? You see, if Timothy was able to come and to build up, to reinforce their faith, to give them confidence in their faith in God, hey folks, when the foundation of faith is secure in your life, there is no storm that you cannot weather. He didn't spend time, he didn't build them up in their confidence in, in, in themselves. He wanted to build up their confidence, their faith in who? Their faith in God. Why, did it, why was it that Paul sent Timothy, a, a minister of Christ, a faithful minister of Christ, his right-hand man? I don't think Timothy was coming there just to talk to him and give him a Dr. Phil speech. I think he's going there to do what? He wants to do what? Build up their faith, share the word of God with them about their knowledge of who God is about God's character and who he is so that their confidence wouldn't fail. You see, the stronger your knowledge of God and your understanding of him, the more you trust him, the more resolute and unwavering your confidence will be in him. Folks, we need to have a strong faith in Christ, don't we? When, you're not, when you don't have much knowledge of who Christ is and all that you have in him, it's easy for your faith to do what? Waver. Timothy was coming to uh, support them, to reinforce their faith with the word of God, to give them confidence so that they would know God deeper and by having a greater knowledge of who God is and all that they have in him, what would they be able to do? Weather the storms of life. It's the same thing Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter one. I think we're gonna put it up on the screen. Ephesians chapter one, verse 18 and 19 says this, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may what? That you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. What you know about God is what develops your confidence and your trust in what he's doing. By the way, the very thing, and I, I find this very interesting because Timothy, when he comes into this church, he's doing the very same thing he saw Paul model at every single church he went to. Paul would go to these churches where he'd started them and he would encourage them and he would build them up in their faith. Look at what it says in Acts 14, 22. It says this, Paul goes back to the city of Lystra and what does he do? Verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to do what? Continue in the faith. 
that we must through much trial and tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. What's Timothy doing? He's doing what Paul, his mentor, did. He's grounding people in the truth about God so that they have a sure foundation that when tough times come, what would happen? Their faith would be able to weather the storm. Why did he do that? Well, look at what it says in verse three. That no man should be moved by what? By these afflictions. This word moved is an interesting word. It's kind of a funny word. It means to wag the tail. Okay, you're like, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, uh, any of you guys have dogs? Like I have, my, my dog is, it's supposedly a dog. It's, it's basically fur with eyeballs. That's what my dog is. <laughs> you know what a Pomeranian is. All right, and so, like, whenever you come home and you see your dog, what does your dog normally do? It wags its tail. Like, it's going back and forth. It's like, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's happy to see you. It's going back and forth. And, and the idea here, when Paul uses this word, so your faith won't be moved, when he's saying, so that, so that, you, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, what Paul is saying, he's pointing the fact that like a dog whose tail's going back and forth, how many times when you go through trials do you struggle in, in what you're thinking about your situation? You're going back and forth. Sometimes you're feeling solid and confident in God and what he's doing, and then it takes, what, just a couple hours and you're thinking about it again? You ever been there before? where it just constantly keeps coming up in your mind, going back and forth between trusting and not trusting. And what Paul is saying is that Timothy's coming to strengthen and reinforce your faith and, and, and reinforce your confidence in Christ and who he is so that your faith won't wag like the tail of a dog, but that it'll be firm and solid and strong and confident in who God is so that you wouldn't be lured away by the troubles that you're going through. This word affliction is the idea of being underneath the thumb. How many folks can testify that maybe there's been some things in your life where you just felt the weight and the pressure of it? And it feels heavy, doesn't it? You feel uh, this tremendous weight, and, and, and for some people, it has the ability to stretch their faith so much that their faith begins to really struggle through it. What we find in this passage is that Paul is saying that trials can be unsettling if it occurs in the life of a, of a believer whose faith isn't built and rooted in a solid knowledge of who Christ is and everything that you have in him. Hey, folks, you want to know one of the reasons why you ought to read God's word? It builds up your knowledge of who God is. The reason why you build up in your relationship with Christ is that when difficult times come, you know who he is and you have a confident trust in him. You see, these trials that they were under created a tremendous amount of pressure. And folks, if you know who Christ is and you know his character and you know what God's done, you know what happens? Your faith is rooted and is prepared to weather the storms that are difficult. I can remember probably the worst uh, situation, worst natural disaster I've ever been a part of was back in, 2011, it was the flood that happened in Thailand. It was one of the, they said it was the greatest flood that ever happened in the history of Thailand. 65 out of 76 provinces in Thailand were flooded and declared a natural disaster zone. Uh, if you were to kind of compare what that looks like, it's 7,700 square miles 
of devastation because of flooding. You know, it was announced usually about, it was about a week ahead of time. They let us know, hey, this massive amount of water is going to be coming down and it's going to be going into Bangkok and all the places that are anywhere close to the river are going to be flooded. There's no doubt about it. Well, as we began to prepare for my family, we, we began to, we got some sandbags, we put them up. I don't know how much that helps, but then they got, you know, PVC pipes that you can attach to your drain so that the water won't come up through the floor of your house. And man, you're, there's all these things that you're preparing for. And I remember talking, there was another missionary lived just down the road from us. And I was like, hey, have you guys started to prepare for it? He's like, nah, I talked to my neighbors and they said they think we're fine. We've never flooded before. I was like, man, you're closer to the river than me. You, you really sure you want to do that? And you know, sure enough, when the, when the flood waters came, it inundated their house and they lost like 70% of what they own. Remember him calling me, Ryan, can you come help us? I'm like, man, this is too late. Like I'm wading through water to come move stuff at his house. And folks, here's the problem was that he was caught, what? Unprepared. Hey, folks, you want to know the surest thing that will help you when the tough times of life come? It's your knowledge and your faith in who God is. It's your confidence because it's been rooted in a relationship that you know who he is. You don't always understand everything that you're going through, but you do know who he is and you know what he does. That's what will make you weather the storms that are difficult. We need a solid foundation that's rooted in Christ and everything that he is. And folks, sometimes we need Timothys that will reinforce it too. And maybe you could be that kind of person for somebody else that struggles. You can be the person that reinforces and, and, and inspires confidence in who God is. So trials, first of all, they're unsettling. Let's look at the second thing. Trials are also appointed. Let's look at what it says in verse 3. Look at what it says. It says, for yourselves know that what? You were appointed uh, thereunto. This word appointed means what you think it means. What do you think it means? It means uh, it's not by accident. It's not a coincidence. It means it's placed. It's arranged. That it didn't catch God off guard what it was that you're facing. It's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. Paul was direct with these believers that in your life, you will have trouble. I remember there's a commentator, Roy Zuck. He made this statement. This is what he said. For the child of God, there are no accidents, only incidents. That's so true. Nothing ever just happens. There isn't coincidence. There's not luck. With God, there's only appointments. And how would they handle these trials? How did they know that there would be trials? Look at what he says in verse four. I love what Paul does because, hey folks, look up here. You can't listen to what every preacher or pastor tells you on TV. I know you're shocked. <laughs> but the deal is, is that there's a lot of people out there that tell you, hey, if you come to faith in Christ, everything will be great. The problem is, is that's detached from reality. It's not true. Look at what Paul told these group of believers. Look at verse four. He said, for verily... When we were with you, we told you before that you should suffer tribulation, even as what? Even as it came to pass, even as you begin to see it happen in your own life. Look at what he says, and you know. That word you know is by experience. That's Paul saying, hey, and by the way, I told you so. Not really. He didn't mean it in an ugly way. But he's saying what? I told you it was going to happen. 
You see, Paul told them that uh, he was with them, uh, that it was inevitable that it would come to pass. You're going to have suffering and you're going to have hardship in your Christian life. How many of you can testify that that's been your experience? I think of many of you, even in our church in the past year, the things that you've been through is very trying. Paul took the time to explain to these young believers in Christ that just because you've come to faith in Christ doesn't mean your life is going to be smooth. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. The entire New Testament teaches that if you come to faith in Christ, what's going to happen? You're going to have trials. You're going to have difficulty, but what makes it so much different for the believer is what? We have hope in Christ. We have a God that is with us in the storm. We have a God that is beside us when we're going through the difficulty. Look at what Paul has said uh, in, in 2 Timothy 3.2. He says this, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Expect it. It's a normal thing for you. That's what he means. In 1 Peter, Peter makes a statement, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. But the God of all grace who has called us unto his what? Eternal glory. Look, God has an eternal perspective on what he's doing in your life. He's called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after what? After you have suffered a while, he'll make you perfect. He'll establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. He's saying that the God of all grace has an eternal perspective for your life. That he wants to accomplish the perfecting of you, the molding you into the image of Christ. You guys know very well the the verse Romans uh, 8 verses 28 and 29 says this. And you know that all things, what? Work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestine to be conformed to the image of Christ. Hey, Christ is more concerned with what? He's more concerned with your Christ-likeness than he is with your comfort. That's not necessarily what we like to hear, but it's necessary. And the disciples, Jesus prepared them in John 16, verse 33. He said this, these things I've spoken unto you that you might have peace. How can, why, why does he want to give me peace? Look at what he says. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer because why? I've overcome the world. Jesus prepared his disciples for tough days that were ahead of them, and they were pursuing Christ. And folks, hey, you as a believer, can you expect to be treated any different than what Christ was? Hey, have you noticed what's taking place in our country? Do you think things are going to get easier, or do you think they're going to get tougher? It's going to be harder. And, And what he wants you to do is, as believers, we need to be prepared for what we have in front of us, don't we? The fact is, is that we need to understand that in this world, we're going to have tribulation and trials. And Paul, when he went to Thessalonica, he didn't sugarcoat it to these believers when it could have been easy to do that. He said, guys, when you come into this new faith, understand you're coming into it with the idea that you're going to go through hardship and difficulty and trials. You were appointed for it. God's going to take that and use it in your life to conform you into Christ's likeness. And let me just take a poll right now. How many of you would say that in your Christian life, you have learned far more about God and who he is in your tough times than you have in the good times? 
How much more so in your life have you learned about the faithfulness of God in your life than when it was when you went through difficulty? When you've seen God come through, when you've seen him answer your prayer life, uh, when you've seen him answer your prayers and you've seen God come through in situations where it seemed impossible, folks, you were made for this because God does his best work in times of trials and tribulation and in difficulty. That's where God begins to mold you into the image of Christ more so than any other time. Amen. You were appointed for it. But look at what Paul told them in advance. He says this, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. This idea of what he said is the idea that he told them over and over and over again, you're going to go through trials. Folks, don't be shocked and caught off guard when you go through that. It's a common experience in the Christian life. Let me just say this. You know, I, I read an article not too long ago, and I don't know if this is true. I'm not really good with my animal information. But I read an article about giraffes, and I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but when it, uh, the mother giraffe, when it gives birth to its baby, that baby will drop from a distance of anywhere from six to eight feet high in the air. And when it falls down, it'll lay down on the ground. It doesn't want to get up. And the mother, kind of weird thing, is that the mother will kick it the baby while it's on the ground and send it flying into the air. And what the, the mother's doing, you're like, man, what kind of, I mean, that's crazy. I, I could use that as my, my illustration of why I wrestle with my boys. I'm trying to help them. Uh, but, and so the mother kicks its baby giraffe flying into the air in order to get the baby motivated to stand up on its own legs so that it would begin to, to, to stretch out its legs and strengthen it so that it can run. When it finally gets up on its legs, the mother will kick it again, knocking it to the ground so that it'll get up and it'll finally learn how to use its legs to run. You're like, what kind of mother would do? That's crazy. Well, the reason why is that it's the love of the mother that it kicks the baby giraffe. You're like, well, why in the world? Because the mother understands that unless the baby gets up and learns to run and stretch its legs, there's something that's far more dangerous and that is the lions and the leopards that would want to eat it. Right. You see, the mother loves the, the, the baby giraffe so much that it's more dangerous for them to lay in comfort than it is to go through the trial and the difficulty of being kicked by its mother so that it would be moved out of its comfort area. And folks, Christ understands that in your life, it's far more dangerous in your life to be sitting in a place of comfort than it is to go through difficulty and him be able to mature into you what he wants in your life. Amen? Amen. It's more dangerous than our trials is for God to allow us to sit in comfort and sit in our immaturity of our, our Christian faith. Christ molds us and moves us. The place that he teaches us the most is in trials and difficulty. Let's look at this other thing. Thirdly, we see that trials are dangerous. Look at what it says in verse 5. He says, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Now notice, what does Paul say? He's concerned about them in their trial that what would happen. Who was he concerned about? that Satan would take the opportunity to do what? 
weakened their faith. How many of you recognize that in, in, in trials and tribulations, there are some people that walk away from Christ? When the difficulties of life come in, there's some people that abandon him, that have nothing to do with him. Well, Paul wanted to know what their faith was like, so he sent Timothy to check on them to see if they were still continuing on in the faith. Paul wanted to protect them, but remember, when Paul wrote this letter, he did not know what had happened with Timothy yet, right? That's why he sent Timothy to come back with word about what had happened. Well, when Timothy comes back, and tells him, that's why chapter one, Paul's commenting to them, he says, because when Paul sent Timothy initially, he didn't know if their faith was genuine or whether it wasn't, right? He wanted to know, is their faith still strong or have they abandoned what they believe? Not everyone that says they're saved is truly saved, right? You don't know until it's been tested, the Bible says in Matthew 13, you remember Jesus' parable about the four soils? In Matthew chapter 13, listen to these words, verses 20 to 22, it says this. But he that receives the seed into the stony places, the same as he that hears the word and with joy receives it. Yet he hath not no root in himself, but endureth for a while. For when the tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, by, by and by he's offended. Look at what he says in verse 22. He also that receives the seed among the thorns is he that hears the word. And what happens? The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word and he becomes unfruitful. There are some uh, people that when things get difficult, they abandon what they believe. They walk away from it, and they're not a genuine believer. There, there is a kind of fruit that, brings up, that springs up for a little while, but it doesn't last. Listen, folks, I'm not trying to teach that you can lose your salvation. I'm teaching the fact that when people walk away, it proves what? They didn't have faith to begin with. So when Paul initially sent Timothy, he didn't know what he would find. You look in verse one, it finds out that, you remember what Paul said? He said, these people, they've turned from idols to serve the living and true God. This was evidence of their faith. I'm sure that Paul thought some of them would be genuine believers, but that they were gonna struggle. There was gonna be difficulty and hardship. But Paul said this, he says, I sent to know of what? I sent to know of your faith, lest by some means the tempter having tempted you. You know what Satan wants to do in your, in your life? He wants to weaken your faith. He wants to get you discouraged. He wants you to doubt the goodness of God. He wants you to doubt the character of God. And so, it's important for us to understand how Satan works. Paul sent Timothy to do what? Paul was sending Timothy to do this, folks, and listen to this. Why would he send them in the middle of their trial and their difficulty to check on them and their faith? Because he wanted to know whether it was genuine or not. You see, it's important for us in our Christian life. You know why it's important to be a part of a local body of believers? Because it provides protection to your spiritual life, doesn't it? You have people that will be able to check on you like Timothy went to check on the church at Thessalonica to see how their faith was. So did Timothy go and check on them to give them spiritual oversight, to give them accountability in their Christian life. Hey, folks, accountability is an important thing in your Christian walk. Yes, amen. 
to have people that'll check up on you and to say, how are you doing? How you been doing? How's, how's your trust in God? How's your walk with God? That's an important thing. Now, let me close lastly. Not only are, are trials, are they unsettling? Are they appointed? They're dangerous. But lastly, trials are productive. They're productive. Look at what he says in verse six. But now when Timothy came unto you, uh, came unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity that you have good remembrance of us, desiring greatly to see us as we, all, as we also to see you. Now notice that what he says, he says, but now when Timothy came, uh, came from you unto us, he's saying, he's giving us an indicator of when he wrote this letter. He wrote the letter when Timothy came back to report to him about what was going on in the church. Now, I want you to notice this. Why is, why is trials, why is it productive? The first reason is this. It proves one's faith is genuine. It proves your faith is genuine. Look at what he says, verse six. He brought us, circle this word, good tidings. He brought us good tidings of your faith and charity that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. You see this word, good tidings? You know what that word comes from? It has the idea of gospel. Gospel. When Timothy came back, it's almost as if when he saw Paul, you know what he shouted out to him? Gospel. When Paul wanted to know what was going on with these people, Timothy's shouting out gospel. You're like, well, what does he mean by gospel? He means salvation. These people are saved. You, why would that be a big deal to Paul? He had invested all of his toil, all of his energy into these group of believers. What did Paul want to know most of all? Are they saved or are they lost? Did they hang in there or did they give up? And he's shouting out to them, these people are saved. They, they stuck in there. Their faith made it through the testing. It's used everywhere else in the New Testament for gospel, for salvation. And he says here, this is a group of people that were saved. Well, how did Timothy know they were saved? Look at the evidence. Look at what he talks about. The evidence was their faith and their what? And charity. You know what Pastor was talking about this morning when he talked about the fruit of the Spirit? You know what they had? Fruit of the Spirit. They had love. They had faith. What was their faith in? When you go through hard circumstances and your faith remains intact, what is that evidence for? The faith was from God. He's the one that gave you the energy to make it all the way through that. And it means this, you are a genuine believer. You want to know what makes uh, going through trials so productive? When you've been through the hardest circumstances that life can throw at you, and your faith remains intact, you still trust God, you still have confidence in God, what does that mean? You can make it through the toughest things in life. Your faith is genuine. Amen. You are genuinely a child of God. It confirms in your life, I'm a believer. That's a great thing for your Christian life, right? Yeah. How many people struggle with their faith? Hey, this confirms it, but also notice what else. They also had a love, a love for who? They still love the Lord, and notice what else Paul talks about. Look at what he says in the verse. He says that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. What does he mean by that? You want to know one of the marks of a genuine believer is how you feel about other Christians? Hey, they haven't gotten bitter. They got better. They weren't a group of people that were angry about the situation. Their faith in God was still solid. 
Their love for other believers, solid. They desired to be with him. Hey, folks, one of the great things that's productive about your Christian life, when you go through things, you know what? You come through it and you say, I know I'm a child of God. Because I've been through it and God's taken me through things. My faith's genuine. It's, it's past the test. I would say this, it also, not only that, but it provides encouragement to other believers. Look at what it says in verse 7. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you all in our affliction and distress by your faith. Look at what Paul says. He said, because you guys made it, what did it do for him? It comforted, we were comforted over you in our affliction and distress by your faith. What's he saying? Because you guys made it, what did it do for Paul? It said, when we go through afflictions, it gave us encouragement. You need to circle that word comfort. It comforted. Look at what, this word comforted, it comes from the word paraclete. You know what we use that word with? The Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit comes alongside of you and encourages you in your faith. You know what Paul was saying? When we realized that you had been through the most severe testing that anybody could ever go through and you still made it, your faith was intact, you know what it did? It was like the Holy Spirit that comes alongside of you and encourages you in your faith. It gave us a shot in the arm. Hey, folks, never underestimate what your faith can do for other believers. Amen. You want to know one of the most powerful things to do is to listen to people's testimonies, to hear how God has brought people through tremendous obstacles and difficulty and hardship, and you know what that does for the body of Christ? What does it do? It gives them a shot in the arm. It builds their faith. It encourages their faith so that they can keep going as well. Now, this is what Paul does. Look at verse 8. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. This was Paul's prayer for this church. And folks, you need to take a, a pen and circle verse 8. This should be the goal of every believer in trial and in testing. Paul says, we live if what? If you stand in the faith. This word stand in the faith is a military term. It means this. It means to refuse to retreat. It means to refuse to give up ground. Paul's prayer was that when they went through testing, that their faith would not give up ground, that it would refuse to retreat, but it would stand fast in Christ and all that he is. But notice, folks, he says, stand fast in who? In the Lord. Hey, you want to know where your strength comes from when the things are toughest? It comes in the Lord, folks. Not in yourself, not in your good friends that you can talk to. Stand fast in the Lord. The Lord provides the strength. It comes from a relationship with him. Amen? Amen. Folks, we need a group of believers that will say that no matter what comes into my life, I'm going to have the kind of faith that's not going to be shaken. It's not going to be turned upside down. My confidence in the Lord is going to remain at 100%. I don't know what God's doing, but I have faith. I know who God is. I'm not going to give up ground in my spiritual life because of what I'm going through. Amen? We need believers like that. Look at what he closes with, verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before God? You know what he says? How could we even begin to express our thanks to God for what he's done in your life and the fact that your faith has remained firm and solid in Christ and who he is? Amen? That's an incredible thought. It makes me think of Philippians 1, 6, where Paul says, being confident of this very thing that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it 
until the day of Christ Jesus. He's saying, he's saying that the same God that started the work in your life at the beginning, folks, is the one that will continue to work in your life in the storm. And he's also the same God that not only work in your life and during the storm, but he's going to be faithful to complete the thing that he started in your life all the way from the beginning. You know, when I was thinking about this, folks, we need to have the kind of mindset that whatever comes into my life, I don't want to let it shake my faith. I don't want to let it weaken it. I don't want to back down. I don't want to give up ground, spiritually speaking. I thought about that this week, and the only thing I could think of, I love history. And one of my favorite stories is the story of the Spartans. You guys know that story? The Battle of Thermopylae, when they face, it, it was basically the Greek city-states, they came together to fight against uh, the Persian Empire and against Xerxes. And you remember they had that pass where they, they would stand the ground and they refused to give it up. They were going to fight till death, but they weren't going to give up the land to let them come through the pass. And even against great odds, you know what they decided? We're going to stay right here. We're not going to back down. We're not going to give up territory. That's an incredible type of faith. And listen, folks, the way that we, not, we don't give up ground in our life is just like what Paul's prayer was for this group of people. Stand fast in who? The Lord. Okay, I'm going to say this again, and I want us to say it like we mean it this time. It means what? Stand fast in who? In the Lord, the only way you can stand fast and the only way your faith can, can last through all of the difficulty and hardship and affliction that you'll face in life is why? Because you stood fast in him. Amen. You see, if you understand who Christ is and all of the resources that you have at your disposal, you'll never lack for anything that you need to face in the time of trial. Amen. Never lack for anything. Let's close in a word of prayer. I just ask that every head be bowed and every eye closed. Maybe there's some folks that are in here this evening that would say, you know,